Hey, last week, as you're turning to John 20, uh, we discussed some things, and I would like to keep doing this, where we do some application at the end uh, uh, in terms of our uh, work that we do. I think it's helpful when you kind of help me do application instead of me thinking of it, because maybe I can't think of something that is that great. Anybody, uh, I know Helen and I were talking, I'm not going to embarrass Helen too much, but I, last week, who, did anybody write their name on their own hand this week? And do that. We said, we talked about that. Remember about this idea about, great, yeah. Did anybody get any responses from people over that? Did they think you were like in the third grade? Or, <laughs> right? Huh? H- Helen, you told me something. What, what happened? People ask you, what is that? Yeah, and she could tell Psalm, or uh, Jeremiah 49, 12 says, I've inscribed you on the palm of my hands. You know, I had an experience too. When I, when I, like mine's a little, it proves I, I wash my hands, you know, it does. But I had the experience of doing that. Uh, and this idea was when I would see it be faded because I'd wash my hands a little bit. You know what it made me think was, this is not what God does. That was kind of helpful to me. I mean, I didn't have anybody ask me uh, what did that mean, but when I looked at it and I saw it and that it was a little bit uh, smudged or it was a little bit gone, I, I thought, okay, that's what happens when I do it, but that's not what happens. when It just made it conscious for me. And that's the whole point of our application is for us not only just to listen and hear. In fact, if you just listen and hear and don't do anything about it, I, I don't think there's probably much value in that. Uh, but if you do something about it and it helps you as you walk through the day and as you go through the week, then that, that, that kind of brings that truth back to you. Jeremiah 20, uh, 49, 12, you know, I've written you on the palm of my hand. And so I, I, I'm always encouraged. Anybody else, anybody do anything that, with that? Uh, Annette, you talked about in the morning or the evening, reminding ourselves of God's love and affection for us. You did? Good. Thought about, anybody do that one in the morning or the evening? Great. Yeah, in the morning or the evening to consider God's love and affection for you. Yeah, that's great. Well, that's the whole point. You know, we're trying to do application here. We're discussing, thank you guys, we'll, we'll, we'll keep working on this. We're, we're discussing this particular topic. Uh, by the way, I've got this running this morning again. If you uh, in, are interested in asking a question, we'll try to take some time here in a bit and refer to them. But that's a way for you to do that anonymously so that you don't feel uh, necessarily like you have to uh, raise your hand or ask. But we've been uh, looking at this topic here, adding up the results of the resurrection, adding up the results of the resurrection. And we just came through this wonderful Easter time and that's great and we need to remember that and we do, we declare the resurrection of Jesus and what it means on that day. And I shared with you last week that there are some people sometimes don't know that the reason that we worship on on Sunday is because it's the Lord's day that every Sunday that we come to church, we should in some measure or some way be celebrating the resurrection, Right? So, so it's not just, I mean, I, I don't think anybody thinks that, but I just, I'm trying to kind of remind us that every Sunday should be in some measure re, reliving, re, re, recalculating, understanding the resurrection as the work of God in our behalf. And so I'm talking to us, we're trying to add some of them up. I, I, when I was thinking of adding up, we, we do that in life, don't we? I had to be a part of a minister's meeting um, uh, this weekend, and um, I had to get out of town as fast as I could. When I told them we're the only group that doesn't have to do continuing education, doctors doing like that, but not ministers, because all we're dealing with is people's eternal souls. You know, <laughs> that's it. Yeah, they weren't really happy. I didn't get a big amen when I said, "What's up with that?" You know, CPAs have to get additional training. You know, to learn how to hide your stuff. That'll get to the back here in a minute. You know. Doctors have to, to, to take continuing educational training. I, I told a couple of friends of mine, I said, you know, I'm trying to find a doctor who isn't practicing. I want one of them knows what he's doing, <laughs> right? So I'm there, and as I'm speaking, I'm looking out in the audience, and I'm seeing lots of students that used to be in my classes. That's because I'm old now. <laughs> I told some of the day, I used to have real curly hair, but it's just tired now. It's... Uh, it was really curly at one point, really tired. But I, 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 as I was standing there and looking as I was teaching and talking, some of them you know, are guys and gals that were in my class and others are people that I've known over the years. And I always carry this sheet with me. This is a, a little sheet that I carry of students who actually graduate <laughs> and go into ministry. And every once in a while, I'll just pull it out, take a look at it, 
and over the years that I've taught and say, okay, how's this all adding up your life, your, your influence, your, your effort here? Is it, is it adding up uh, to anything of any consequence? And that was kind of a nice reminder, uh, you know, to be there. And I, and I, I think we probably all do that at times, try to kind of add up or figure up and say, you know, how are things going? How am I, how's life going? How, how are things I think in this issue of, if you will, of the resurrection, that there, there are some things that add up about this. There, there are some issues here that we ought to look at. So we're going to look at 20, and I want to just ask you to consider with me here a few other things as we kind of work our way through this incredible, incredible chapter. Now, last week, we looked at this section where Mary met Jesus in the garden area and what occurred there and how uh, I gave a different understanding of what this means about don't cling to me, don't hold on to me. It's not because he's too holy because we'll see in chapter 20 later, he tells Thomas, go ahead, touch me, touch. There you go. Can't be that. It has to be something else. And the idea I said was this idea of Mary feeling the need to cling on to Jesus so he doesn't leave. I suggested something and I want to just touch this because I've been thinking about this this week that we discussed in this particular section uh, whether or not Mary has this, I've certainly as a, as a pastor and a teacher uh, recognized this in myself and I've certainly seen it in people talk to them is what uh, calling the orphan spirit, the orphan spirit. That this uh, first thing we see in adding this up is that Jesus, there's a consolation in the midst of deep grief. We, we did that last week. But I just, I want you to think about this with me just for a minute again, that that this idea of Mary holding on to Jesus, clinging on to him, don't let him go, keep right here, may suggest sometimes in our own lives where we have this kind of orphan spirit, where we just don't believe we belong. That down deep in our soul, there is the idea that we're not worth much or that God would never want to be with us or that we could never be enough and that this has the sort of sense of I just don't belong whether it's belong to Jesus or belong uh, in the position I'm in or belong in the place, you know, we often, many of us carry this idea if people really knew about me, they probably wouldn't what, like me or love me or want to be around me. And so I, I just want to ask you to consider some more of that this week. And it, it, here's three things through the week. I kind of, as I was working through this, the, the, the manifestation, see if I get this thing to work, the manifestation here I'm suggesting you know, when the devil fell from heaven, if you believe that, that there's some people don't, he, he, he fell into electronic equipment. I don't know if y'all read that before. I, I, I didn't know if y'all knew that. Yeah. When he fell, when he, when he fell from heaven, he landed in electronic equipment. I'm convinced of it. Now this, this, uh, uh, if you will, this, um, orphan spirit, here we go. The manifestations of this, and I'm just telling, here, give me an example. I was talking the other day, a bunch of guys. Do any of you have trouble believing that God loves everybody else or, you know, that he, he, he even loves ISIS? He even loves, you know, people that are doing, do you, you don't have any problem with that, do you? But you know what? If you have the orphan spirit, you have a hard time believing God loves who? You. you. That's too widespread for it to just be nothing. Over the years, as I've talked to you, I mean, it's not hard to believe that God even loves like ISIS or God loves Hitler or God loves, you know, OSU. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm getting close right to the edge. Um, and, and we and really, I mean, because it's more theoretical, it's more theoretical. When it gets down to me, that's a different story. And the orphan spirit and I'm not trying to sound mystical or, you know, like some, like I grew up with guys that thought there was a demon in every doorknob. You know, I'm not, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about this attitudinal thing that's down in us. The sense that I don't belong. That's what, so, so here's what happens when we have this. Our work, or my work, and your establishes my worth. My work establishes my, my worth. This is where men, I can speak a little bit to this. This is where men, when they retire, sometimes they have real problems because they've been defined by their what? Work. 
I have been, like I say, at this minister's meeting, I have a good friend who's a counselor, and they're putting him on staff because I've said over the last several years, I, I don't know if you know it or not, but uh, I've been in ministry a long enough time, and you may have gone to churches that sometimes when a pastor retires and stays in the church, he becomes the biggest problem that church ever had because they can't let go. And, and I said years ago that every minister that retires ought to have six months of paid counseling. You know, Marty should have a year. <laughs> Every year, <laughs> right? We already know his stuff. He tells us about it all the time. You know, it's diagnosable. I know some friend of mine, counselor's writing it down. Okay, that's the issue. But, but, it, but, but when they have to retire and have to quit and, and have, for whatever reason, they lose their identity. Listen, the orphan spirit has within it the idea that your work is your worth. And I've told Wayne Bolenbacher, you know, Wayne, I know in front of you, and I said, Wayne, when it comes time for me to retire or they change the locks on my office, if I start acting like an idiot, just beat me in the head with a hammer. He said, gladly. <laughs> right? That happens, doesn't it? Our work becomes, that's, that's what makes us belong. Here's the other one, I think. Our control is what I seek in order to live with confidence. Control is something I'm fighting to get because if I can control things, I have confidence. That's the orphan spirit. Now, by the way, you know by this time in your life that control is an illusion, right? You, you're, you and I, are, the only thing we're in control of is our response to situations. We're not in control of situations. I often laugh a little bit. I think, you know, when people say to me, God's in control. I say, you know what? You're not even controlling your kids, <laughs> right? God's in charge, but, but we seek to control. We think that if we could control everything, that we could finally have confidence. And then third, I don't spend a lot of time. The third one is this. My security is based in success. And we're, 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 we're so uh, guilty of this. We tend to award or reward people who are successful. And then we, then we tend to, 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 to just forget about, you know, people who aren't who aren't as successful as others. I told you, in this class, uh, one day, I had a, had a meeting uh, with a guy who drives a truck. And uh, he's a good, good truck driver, but he drives a truck. And then that afternoon, I had coffee with a guy in our class who flies a Citation Three jet. I mean, you, you know, it's really super job. Gets to go fly over the country for a particular company the end of the day, as I was kind of reflecting on the day, it's like the Holy Spirit kind of just nudged me and said, I just want to know, did you treat both of those guys the same? Did you listen to the truck driver with the same intensity that you listened to the pilot? Did you, did you, did you engage, were you as concerned and interested in what the truck driver was saying as to what the pilot was saying? You see, that, 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 that kind of Orphan spirit says, well, I've got to be connected with the successful. And the, you know, I, here's anybody, anybody in here been religious in their life? <laughs> I want to tell you another one. I, I, I thought about not adding this one, but I'm going to anyway. I'm already in trouble with the state ministers, so I might as well just jump in on out. Um, I think sometimes this orphan spirit is that my security, and please understand, what I'm trying, my security is maintained through my sinlessness. My security is maintained through my sinlessness. Now, I know a lot of people don't believe you can live sin. I'm not, I'm not saying you can. I'm simply saying that you're pretty secure with God until you fail. You're pretty secure with him until you sin. And then it's all hands on deck. I told my Friday morning Bible study. I did something the other day that I, after I thought, oh, what are you doing, Cliff? And it, in my judgment, it was a sin. I hope that doesn't shock you. It doesn't shock me. It doesn't shock Becky at all. <laughs> and I just felt this kind of clenching inside like that. And the Spirit of God said to me, hey, 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 you don't need me any more now than you did 10 minutes ago. Okay? You don't need me any more now than you did 10 minutes ago. Anybody like me, when that happens, you just clench up? All of a sudden, the sense of security or sense of well-being or the sense of everything's okay is now suddenly deeply adjusted. That may be the orphan spirit. 
The orphan spirit says, I don't really belong. I got to keep earning. I got to keep making my way. I got to keep doing good. I got to keep adjusting to stay in and belong because the basic manifestation here is Mary is holding on to Jesus. You can't leave me. If you do, I don't know what I'm going to do. This is the idea of not belonging. Does that make sense? That's deep in some of us. Mary illustrates that at least in my mind. Okay? So we look at that. So we look at the consolation in the midst of deep grief. We're moving on now to the second one here. Notice here, so on verse 19, so when it was evening on the day, the first day of the week, this is again Sunday, our Sunday now, it's still the same day. Mary's been to the tomb. It's at night when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive. The Greek word there is take, lambana. You can write this if you want to. Take the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. But if you retain the sins of any, they will be retained. We're going to try to see if we can get to Thomas. We're going to see here today. But I want to suggest here the second thing in this adding up the facts of the resurrection is this, is confidence in the midst of fear. Confident. Notice here, I've always been a little bit amused. Just reading here with John. So on, the first, on that evening of the first day of the week, where are the guys hiding behind locked doors at night. Where have the women been? <laughs> Thank you, ladies. <laughs> Just think about that. I mean, here, here is John recording to say, the ladies went to the tomb where they were not certain that there wouldn't be Roman soldiers and there would be a, a detachment of them there uh, holding and keeping, keeping guard. Here the women have gone and the guys are hiding. Now, Maybe several reasons for that, but they shut the door and they're gathered together and Jesus comes into their midst. Now, you know, the, this passage does not suggest like in the movies, how does he come in? Like beamed in, like Star Trek, like it doesn't say, it just doesn't say he can he, it just says he came, he's there. There isn't anything to suggest necessarily. There's a, a, a term here when it says, and Jesus stood in their midst. And it could be that he just came in the door. Well, who knows? What I'm interested in here, though, is this confidence of, of here when Jesus says, peace be with you. Peace be with you. Notice, if you will, that's found in verses 19, 21, and if we get to Thomas, 26. Same phrase, three times. You know, whenever an author does this, there is some suggestion that there might be something here we want to pause. Peace be with you. So, so Jesus repeats this, this uh, statement to them at least twice in this section and with uh, Thomas a third time. Uh, Jesus here is suggesting something to these people who have had great failure and great fear. Notice it says they were afraid. I mean, you, you bet. They, their, their leader, Jesus, had just been executed by the greatest power in the world at the time, Rome. There's reason to be afraid. Uh, the Romans were typical that whenever there was a group of people trying to start an insurrection, they didn't just kill the leader, they killed all the followers. They were pretty efficient in this. And so as a consequence, it's not unlikely or not, not out of the range of, of reasonable to think these guys are afraid. And so they're hiding. Jesus comes in and says this. It's an interesting phrase here in Hebrew. It's shalom alechem. Now you've probably heard uh, on the news and like that in uh, Arabic, it's salam alechem. And it's the idea of peace, salam, in, in, in Arabic, and shalom in, in, in Hebrew. And there's some question about how did this phrase, because it's a pretty common phrase, pretty common phrase when it's been said. It's, it, it's uh, you know, maybe like hello, but let me uh, try to unpack it a little bit here. These disciples here in their great fear, and rightfully so, hear Jesus say to them, peace be unto you. Now, the, 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 the uh, study of this or where this phrase came from, we understand in, in, in terms of research, is this statement was always used or began to be used to indicate when somebody came up to another person, peaceful intentions. In other words, I'm not going to hurt you. 
I'm not going to harm you. I'm here with peaceful intention. So, so this is how shalom, uh, shalom, shalom, uh, this idea of what, uh, I'm here, I'm, I'm here for peaceful means, not here to hurt you. Peace be with you. I thought about this, you know, you, do you, do you, do you know how the handshake kind of came into being in the, in America? You know, in the, over in Europe, they kiss each other on the cheek and, and, uh, you know, but here we, we shake hands. Yeah, in the West, when you walked up to someone, if you shook their hand like that, you didn't have a gun, <laughs> right? You had peaceful intentions. You extended the hand because you were saying, hey, I, don't worry, you know, unless I'm left-handed. But uh, um, like, like that, uh, I'm left-handed. Um, uh, but so it was a, was a, a sense of, of uh, saying, okay, I'm, I'm coming with peaceful intentions. I'm not here to shoot you. When I'm reading this, I'm looking at this and thinking, peace be with you. And then I read, when I read it a couple more times, I thought, yeah, that's right. This isn't just a statement. This is a declaration. Peace is with you in the person of Jesus. Peace be with you yeah, that's right. Peace be with you. The presence of peace, the prince of peace that he's called in the Old Testament is this. I wrote in my notes when I was thinking about this, I thought, you know, Jesus uses this common greeting to calm the fears of the disciples, but there's more here. He is saying, peace be with you. And what would be more peaceful and more comforting and more helpful to these guys in this particular time than the actual presence of Jesus. The, the actual presence of a resurrected Lord to believe and to know that there is peace now possible, not because the circumstances have necessarily changed, but because of the risen Jesus in their midst. I wondered about that and I wondered in my own life that really the issue for me often for peace or contentment or like that isn't just that the circumstances get settled or the circumstances get straight, but that the presence of Jesus shows up in my life. Is that like you? I mean, there are all kinds of things we go through that God doesn't change. The circumstances don't get different, but there's peace be with you because of the presence of Jesus. I tell my students, and I've said this to myself a lot of times, most of us, the greatest need that we have is to have a real encounter with a real Jesus, not just a concept or an idea from the book. And I'm not saying that's bad. We need to study the Bible, understand. And I'm not sure how that works out all. I'm not trying to be mystical here. But what I am trying to say is to relate to God and to understand the presence of Jesus as the basis of our peace. Not just some statement, not just some word, but his presence. Jesus is our peace. It is his presence, it is his reality in our life that brings us, if you will, the peace and comfort that we have in the midst of difficulty. Some of you know that. I mean, if we were around this room, we would say when you were going through a difficult time and it didn't change, what was it that brought you peace? The doctor's statement? The change in the situation or what? The presence of Jesus. The presence of Jesus. This isn't just a statement. This is a declaration. This is a fact of peace being with us. Now, I, 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 I want to just remind you of something that J Jesus said in John. Go back to chapter 5. And I think this is the challenge that, that I face and, and, and maybe you face at times. The challenge that, that we face is this. And I don't know how to work this all out, okay? So don't, don't, don't ask me for three steps or nine steps or, you know. I, I don't know how to work this all out. I just know how to lean into it. That's all I know. I, ju I, just know, I just know that I have to lean into it. When Jesus said to a bunch of religious people in John chapter 5, if you're there, when he says this, you search the scriptures because you think that in them, what's in, what's in, what, what is in them referring to? 
I'm going to do an English lesson here, huh? What's the in them refer to? The scriptures, yeah. You search the scriptures because you think that in them, what? You have eternal life. But it is these that testify about me, but you're unwilling to come to me that you might have life. Isn't that weird for a Bible teacher to talk like this? Isn't that weird for somebody who loved the Old Testament and taught the Old Testament and was called the Word of God? Isn't that, isn't that weird? For me, I, I teach the Bible every week. I try to teach people how to study it. I think that's important. But if we teach people that God is just a matter of inference, a great bishop out of India said one time that the problem with some of us is that we just believe in God by inference. Okay, I believe the Bible, that it's true. Therefore, by inference, Jesus must be true. That's just, that's faith by inference. I just, I just want to encourage us to think about that one of the things that the Bible teaches us is that in the reality of this book or in the reality of the Christian life is a person, Jesus. That sounds a little flaky. It sounds a little mystical. It sounds a little uncontrollable. You know, it sounds a little out of there a little bit. But I wonder about my life. I wonder about yours. Am I living with the reality that the presence of Jesus is my peace? Peace be with you, Cliff, because I'm with you. Peace. Uh, John 5, it's John 5, 38 to 40. Yeah, John 5, I just turned it, but I think it's 538 to 40, 39 to 40, excuse me, 539 to 40. I, I, I watched, a, uh, I watched a, a, a podcast the other day. It caught my attention uh, by a particular biblical writer. Here's the title. Why PhDs in theology commit adultery. I don't generally see those titles together. <laughs> Yeah, why PhDs in theology commit adultery. You might want to go read it sometime. It's an interesting read from the standpoint that the idea was that a PhD in theology thinks that they know, if you will, everything, and they manipulate and control the information instead of being controlled by it. Instead of the information, I've said my students before, sometimes you're going to discover that while you read the Bible, guess what's happening? It's reading you, right? It's reading you. That, that this idea that if I can amass a bunch of information or a bunch of theology and I can figure it all out, that I will somehow be more spiritual may or may not be true. This idea of Jesus is our peace. Peace be with you. Now, watch this. The next thing he does is a commission for the future. A commission for the future. Notice what he says. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. Then he breathed on them the Holy Spirit and said, receive the Holy Spirit or take the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven. And if you retain, they're retained. This idea of, of, of commissioning or the, uh, the, the, the idea of, I'm sorry, I don't know, here we go. I'll get my right here. Yeah, the commission for the future. Uh, Jesus says, I'm sending you just like the Father sent me. I'm, I'm trying to find the place. I'm, I'm suggesting right here that Jesus says this here and I'm sending. Notice here, I'm sending you as the Father sent me. This is interesting because uh, Jesus' statement here, there are two different words. As the Father sent me, the word there means sent and keep on being sent. I'm sending you. That present tense, I'm sending you now into the world. How, if we see this here, when he says, I'm commissioning you, I'm, I'm, I'm having you to take your place in the world. I'm having you to take your place here to be sent. How did Jesus, how was Jesus sent? Let me give you a few thoughts here. Jesus was sent as light to the world, John 1. Jesus was sent as a light to the world to reveal the truth. So he's saying, I'm, I, as the Father sent me, I'm going to send you as light to the world. 
Jesus said that, didn't he? You're the light of the world. No one lights a light and puts it on a hill. What is it, though, that we're to reveal? What is it that our life, if Jesus was sent as the light of the world, what, what, what are we as the light of the world to reveal? Do what? Others' needs for Jesus? Could, yeah. He's, Jesus said, you're the light of the world and you do good deeds. So what? So what'll happen? Your heavenly father will be glorified, Matthew 5. You're to do good deeds. You're to be involved. Why? So that your heavenly father will be glorified. We're the light of the world. I want to suggest two things for you just in the, in the speed of time or the interest of time. That there are two things that Jesus revealed and we reveal. One is the real truth about God. The real truth about God. And the real truth about us. <laughs> the real truth about God. Who is he? What's he like? And the real truth about us. The real truth about us. I would give it in these two ways real quick. One is that Jesus revealed the real truth about God, that he's a father. The second thing, the real truth about us, I've said this before, I'm just going to keep pounding on it because it comes right from the gospel of John. The real truth about us is not that we're just bad people, but we're dead people. That Jesus came to bring us what? Life. We've been far too focused on sin and not enough on life. That the idea here is that Jesus came to reveal that what you need and what I need is not a new rule book and not a new list of morality, but what we need is something fundamentally more than that. We need life that brings and animates our behavior to honor and glorify God. So when Jesus says, I'm sending you, I'm thinking to myself, okay, I think they knew this. What is that, Jesus? It's that you would reveal the truth about me and you'd reveal the truth about you or others or human beings as the light of the world. So that's one thing. The second thing in being sent, when Jesus said these own words about himself, he said, I've come to do the will of my father, not my own. That's found in John chapter 5, verse 30 and 638. I've come to... To, to not do the will of my own, but the will of my Father. Boy, that, that gets close to me. <laughs> then it's you to say, you want me to do what? <laughs> I mean, you know, I told you, my, my whole world is in my phone. And uh, the great problems in life for me is when somebody interrupts my scheduling. <laughs> Anybody like that? I don't, I don't like that. I mean, I've got my schedule. And for me to sometimes be willing to relent or to say, this is the will of the Father, Cliff. This is the will of the Father. This may not be on your schedule. It may not be your plan. But this is the will of the Father for you to participate in. Jesus said, this is how I was sent, to do the will of my Father and not my own. It would suggest, I think, that if we're being sent into the world, it's not only to be the light of the world, but also to do the will of God that is both his will and not necessarily ours. Third, this is the idea of being sent. The idea of being sent. is The idea here is to give the words of God and the Spirit of God. This is going to play here in just a second. Giving the words of God and the Spirit of God. That's found in John 3, verses 34. When Jesus said, as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. Now, it's interesting here. This phraseology or this understanding. Um, whenever uh, we went to Israel a few years ago, uh, I uh, walked around because, uh, you know, uh, we were there without a group. We, we weren't with a group. We just kind of came in and, and I had read stuff, you know, online about the things that could happen to you when you're there. You know, if, uh, you know, I, I thought, well, you know, what if I'm walking along and an international smuggling ring puts something in my backpack? I'm a lot of fun to travel with. <laughs> I, I think of all kinds of stuff, you know, somebody puts up my backpack. Uh, or, you know, I'm, I'm going along and somebody sticks me with a needle because they're trying out a new assassination drug. Yeah, Becky has to calm me down sometimes when we're going through those places. But, you know, I, I really did think, I said, you know, I'm not here. I'm, I, I don't, I'm not from this country. I can show you a picture. Everywhere I went, I, I, I went around there with this lanyard around my neck with my passport right here. I wouldn't let that thing get anywhere, you know. But I remember being there because I thought, you know, if I get in trouble or if Becky does something, you know, crazy like sometimes she might 
not really. She, we do something crazy. I need to get a hold of the American ambassador, <laughs> you know? Now, I'm not kidding you. I had the phone number, the email address, and the, ad, and, and the uh, uh, phone number, email address, and physical address in my phone on Evernote. I had the same information on a card in my back pocket. And I do think at one point I put it in my shoe. I really did. I was prepared for anything, you know? And, and I thought because I know that if something happens, that ambassador represents who? Who? Huh? He represents fundamentally the president of the United States, but the power and might of who? United States of America, right? It's not his job to determine what all the policy is. It's his job and role to invoke it or to implement it. I wanted to know who that person was. <laughs> I was going to call up and say, now, who is that again? Could you just put me on speed dial with him? See, the idea of an ambassador, they implement the policy and the plans of another. They don't, they don't have to come up with it. They don't have to dream it up. They don't have to decide about it. What they have to do as a representative to implement, if you will, the policies of the United States of America. And I thought, if I get in trouble, I want those guys there with me because they can implement the laws and the policies of the United States of America. This is the idea that Jesus is saying here. This is the idea. I'm sending you as an authoritative representative of mine just as I was sent. Do you see yourself like that? Somebody that has been given the authority to be sent. Somebody who is, as a follower of Jesus, saying, I'm sending you into the world just like the Father sent me. A buddy of mine years ago, so I'm at a gas station. We were just talking. I said, hey, Bill, what are you doing? He said, I'm just about my father's business. I thought, boy, that's, that's the way to look at it, isn't it? That's what I'm about. That as, as the Father has sent me, this is what he sent us to do. Where is he sending us? Where has he sent you? Did he send you to some kids to raise? Did he send you to an office that has people that maybe don't know who Jesus is? Has he sent you to a neighborhood where there are people who either know some of that or, 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 but maybe don't have a relationship with him? Did he send you to, did he send you to, a, to, a, to a job that you sometimes don't really enjoy going to, but there are people there and relationships that you can develop? I, I think I know here some of what he sent us to. Where did he send you? Are you clear about that? Do you have some clarity to say, I'm, I'm, not, I don't, I'm not just on what I'm sent to do, to do the Father's will, to reveal the Father about myself and others? Where? Where do he send you? Where are you being sent? Or is life just a day of get up, have breakfast, go to work, come home, mow the yard, take care of things, go to bed, get up? Or do you live with a sense of being sent? I think, I think it makes all the difference in the world. In our living, in our giving, in our sharing, and in our life. And if you don't know, if you say, you know, Cliff, I don't know. I, I, I don't know where I've been sent. It, it doesn't seem like it to me, you know. Uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't seem like it to me that where I am or where, where my life is. Sent. I just ask you to do this. Would you ask God to open your eyes wherever you are, to what or who he may be sending you to. In the fact that you're already there, in the fact that you're already present, in the fact that your life can already matter in many ways that you may not have thought about. I uh, remember a story that Bill Hybels told years ago about this idea, kind of people being involved in they said at one time at Willow Creek, they were hiring people left and right and all the time just crazy and, and hiring new people. And, and he, they said, uh, Bill, you don't know half these people. And uh, so they have a little reception. They get together and, and, uh, uh, and uh, they start talking. And so they just ask some questions. And so one guy says, I got a question for Bill. Okay. 
And he says, hey, Bill, do you ever feel guilty of asking people to serve God after they work all week? Heibel said he thought to himself, who hired this knucklehead? <laughs> right? Because he's a staff member. And Heibel says, you know, he stopped for a minute and he thought about it. And he said, you know, uh, no, I don't. He said, because I know that there are some people who live their life and serve their job and work at their work and they have almost no sense of meaning or calling. And at some level in the ministry, we help to get people sent to and involved. They leave at the end of that and say, my life mattered. What I did mattered. What I was involved in mattered. Because we're sending people into ministry. We're helping them discern and figure out where they can and should be sent. I don't know about you, but it makes me get up in the morning. When I have some sense that where I'm going, I've been sent. In fact, I've had this conversation the other day. I really don't want to go to this minister's meeting. I don't really like ministers that much. They're okay, but you know. Not that much. They used to say to me at ministers meeting, so how's your church doing? I said, it's not mine, it's God. I just work there. I'm really a lot of fun at ministers meetings. I really, I really am. Wayne's been to a couple of them with me. He knows. He had to about drag me out of one of them. Um, but you know, I'm sitting there thinking about all the things I got to do. And I'm preparing for the session I'm going to do. And I'm, I'm getting nervous a little bit about it. Because, you know, I don't want to, be stupid or something. Um, but I'm sitting there thinking, I've got this work to do like that. And then I had this, I've had this thought lots of times. The Lord reminds me of this when I go, hey, I didn't ask for this. You sent me. So you have to do it. I didn't ask for this. I wasn't clawing for this. I wasn't asking to speak. I didn't ask, would you please let me? Do? I've never, I've told people, I've never asked to serve anywhere. It just happens. And I said, this wasn't my idea. I didn't ask for this. You sent me. So you have to provide the power. I do that every day when I go to work. I didn't ask for this. This is what you seem to be sending me to. Guiding me to. You may say, well, Cliff, I work at a you know, a donut factory or something, you know, I, I didn't, I don't have any sense of being sent. Well, Jesus said, he's sending you into the world. He didn't say he's sending you into the church. <laughs> and the donut shop is the world, is the last time I checked. It's a wonderful part of the world, but <laughs> it's one of my favorite parts of the world. It is godly part of the world. <laughs> Let me finish with this because this is similar to what Jesus said. Jesus, in the Great Commission, never told anybody to go and make disciples. He never told anybody that. That word there in Matthew 28, 18 to 20 is not go. I know that's how it's translated, uh, and that's because the translators have to make some determination when they translate how we're going to do that, or the Bible's going to be in 37 volumes. It's a participle. I know that really blessed you right there, so I'll just let that soak in participle. So blessed. Yeah. Uh, that's right. Walt went to seminary, Trinity, he knows. It should be, it, it is translated literally. The, the command is not go. That's not the verb. The command, the verb in the imperative voice is make disciples. The participle is translated like this, as you are going. Anybody here today not going? Are you going home? Are you going to lunch? Are you going to work? Are you going to go look at those people and laugh at them and still in the marathon? You know? <laughs> yeah. What are you doing out there, right? Th this notion of go, I got to go. I got to, no, no. You have to go anywhere. It's as you are going. Make disciples. Where, where, where are you going? You're already going. You don't, you don't have to decide to go. We, 
I grew up in a tr- tradition where we thought we had to get up, get in our car, and go knock on doors. And I thought, my goodness, everybody's around me. I'm already going to work. I'm going to my neighborhood. I'm going to the mall. I'm going to the donut place. I'm, I'm, I'm developing friendships and relationships. I have a sugar ministry <laughs> to the donut shop. I've been called to that. Huh? And Eddie Bauer. You know what's funny? I've, I've, witnessed, I've witnessed to more people at a running shoe store than anywhere. Because I know about running shoes. And I start talking about it. The guy said, well, you know a lot about running. Well, why? Yeah, I do. Well, why do you know that? Well, this body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Huh? <laughs> then we can talk. See, Jesus said, as I've been sent... I'm sending you. So this week, I, I just, I want to ask you to consider something. Quit thinking your life is that mundane. Quit thinking your life is that ordinary. Quit thinking your life is that common. Because wherever you're going, you've been sent. Wherever you find yourself this week, you've been sent. To tell people about Jesus to help them understand about the nature of God, to cause them, if you will, in some sense or another, to understand the truth about Jesus. Don't think what you're doing is mundane. Well, I have to stop here. There's another term we're going to look at here in a minute because this is part of the, part of the teeth of this matter. When Jesus breathed on them the Holy Spirit. Now, let me just take a minute here. We're going to finish if you've been around me, you know this, and we're going to do something on June the 4th around here. You know what June the 4th is, right? Pentecost. I want to suggest to you that this passage here we're going to get to is important from this standpoint. Um, I love Christmas and I love Easter, but I have to tell you, I am a bit at times confused as to why Pentecost is not emphasized the way Jesus emphasized it. We'll see this here later, but this is right here. If you remember after this resurrection, Jesus made this statement. Go get them, boys. Right? What did he say? Wait. I want to put this little seed in your brain so that when we get to the fourth, we're going to really, hopefully it's starting to plant and grow. I'm going to say this because I think it's historically and theologically accurate. The goal of all of God's activity is not Easter. The goal of all of God's activity is Pentecost. Without Pentecost, nobody's ready to go. Now, you're on the other side of that, so you can go. But see, these guys right here, what did Jesus do? He breathed on them what? Breathed on them the Holy Spirit. I I just want this to kind of settle down in your thinking. That on the church calendar and in terms of God's activity in the universe, and I think it's great we put a lot of emphasis on Christmas and on Easter. Somehow, though, the most important day gets by us because apparently there are no gifts (laughs) and no Easter bunny. (laughs) I just want you to think about that. We're we're about to move into what I would suggest is what makes a Christian a Christian and not just a moral person and not just somebody who has a book and reads. We're going to come back to this because I think this has a lot to do with the notion of the presence of Jesus in our lives. We're going to have a party like we always do. I don't know what we're going to do with the cake. Are we going to sneak it in here, Beth? We're still working on this, so any ideas you have, but we're having a party, okay? So don't come here all dry and, and tired. And, we're going to have a party, okay? We might make you dance. <laughs> I don't know. They used to say to me, can Christians dance? And I always said, hey, some can and some can't. That's all I know. <laughs> but look, we're, we're, right here, we, this is, a, and we'll come back to this next. This is the idea here of number two on there is strengthening. This thing won't work now strengthening. When Jesus says to them, he breathes onto them the Holy Spirit. 
I'm just going to suggest the next time we teach and study and on Pentecost that this is the key to the resurrection, to Christian living, and to what it means to be a follower of Jesus. This is it right here. When you add up the results of the resurrection, this is the sum of the parts. All the parts of the, of the incarnation through Easter or Christmas, all the parts and pieces of Jesus' ministry, all of the parts and pieces of his death and resurrection, all the parts and pieces of his time with the disciples afterwards, and then he finally says, wait. It's not over. It's not over. It will be in 50 days, he says. So I just want you to consider this as we move here, as we deal with, if you will, the adding up the calculus of that, of what does this mean when he breathes on them the Holy Spirit? So for this week, I want to just ask you to consider something. Why? Well, you know, but just in your conscious mind. Do you and I see the need for the Holy Spirit to complete the work of God? Do we see the Holy Spirit as necessary to complete the work of God? Or do we think that Easter's it? That's an interesting thing to consider. I just want to ask you to consider it. To be thinking as we move forward in this chapter, have you and I placed the proper priority, the proper emphasis, the proper understanding on the role and the place of the Holy Spirit? Now, I understand why that's a problem. There are a lot of crazy things on television. There are a lot of crazy things on television. And there are a lot of crazy things that people pass off as power of the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of nutty things. We're going to look at that. But this is a truth here that's the central piece of the activity of God and the work of salvation in the earth. And if we don't see it and we miss it, in my judgment, it it accounts for why some of the challenges we face. So let's pray. I know I've kept you late. Let's, we'll, we'll, we're just going to keep working. So Lord Jesus, um, these words here of you sending us, we're wanting and needing you to help us this week to perhaps recalibrate and re-understand that our lives are not that common and they're not that mundane and they're not that ordinary. Awaken us. Awaken us to the fact that you've sent us and you are sending us. Awaken us to the strengthening that comes only through the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Awaken us to the reality that Jesus, you are our peace. It's peace be with you because you're with us. Help us to live out in that this week. Would you guide us and direct us through this presence of the Holy Spirit that you've made available to us through your great and wonderful work And as we add up the results, add up these consequences of Easter, that we might live more fully and completely. In Jesus' strong name we pray. Amen.